when you said it was a male ship, I thought you meant like male versus female. And I was like, oh, like what? Titanic who? <laughs> no, no fucking wonder it went yeah. down. It's going to be bad luck. <laughs> it's way harder for men to go down. You know that. <laughs> History. I'd like to follow me down the rabbit hole. History. I'd like to frankly. I want to know. Hello, and welcome to Hilf. History I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And we're Hilfing from The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. To find more great podcasts in The Den, click the link in our show notes or go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. <laughs> the subject, getting Hilfed today. A rock star. All right, the Lady Gaga of history, a subject so intriguing that a partial temporary exhibit can draw enough people to single-handedly rejuvenate a museum's annual budget. Titanic. Oh, the passenger ship that struck an iceberg in 1912 and slowly sank. About 2,200 people aboard, but only enough lifeboats to hold half of them. And that was if every lifeboat had been filled to capacity, which, spoiler alert they weren't. Whether you're new to this story or you can recite every word of dialogue from the 1997 film, believe me when I say, we're all getting wet. <clears throat> I am joined for this doomed journey with history appreciator, true crime enthusiast, and host of the hit podcast, That's So Fucked Up, TSFU, Ashley Richards. Thanks for joining us. Let's go down together, shall we? <laughs> um, Ashley Richards, you are currently in Colorado. Yes. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yes. But you don't like to say where exactly. And the reason why is because Ashley is the host of a true crime podcast. That's so fucked up. And, you know, people who love fucked up shit, maybe they shouldn't know exactly where you live. No, I live at 123 Unicorn Lane, Colorado. Oh, if I put that into my Google Maps, <laughs> is it going to show me just like somebody giving a big bird <laughs> to like the satellite from like a boat? It's going to be like a bloody murder house <laughs> <laughs> that has blood dripping down the outside of the walls. And that and I'll be like, that is where she lives. But you don't <laughs> want to go there. Your podcast is so cool. And I was brought to you. By the podcasting world, which I'm fairly new to, you know, I've only been doing this podcast for about a year and a half. Yeah. And um, one of my guests, the very, very funny Renee Percy, we hilfed Nikola Tesla and we know each other from like great episode around L.A. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah. And she uh, contacted me and was like, I just this is too much. I feel like I have to introduce you to this Ashley Richards. Not only would you two get along, but I was just a guest on her podcast, which also has fuck in the title. And we met, and I, I don't want to uh, presume anything, but there was sparks. We had sparks. No, I mean, I was, it was love, podcasting love at first sight for me, girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, hi, <laughs> like, I want to be on your podcast. And you did, you got, you had me on your guest right away on your Valentine's Day episode. Which was so fun. And it was a, it was a crazy episode. Pretty fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like horror stories from, the dating world and like 
asked me to pee on him, wanted to pee on me, wouldn't like took my shit and wouldn't let me out of his car. And you're like, my God. And I was like, I'm just happily married over here having a blast. P.S. The guy who asked the girl to pee on him, it was their first date. And he looked her seriously in the eye to ask her at Olive Garden. I'm going to say Olive Garden would be the, the first red flag for me. I agree. I'm the same hand slash the other hand, but these hands are very close to each other. Mm-hmm. So they're sharing things. <laughs> I I don't want to be peed on and, and I don't want to pee on anyone else. But I uh, no shame in your kink. No. And let's be honest, like if that's really your deal, good for you bringing it up right away. Secondly, yas, consent, yas, yeah. right? And who hates, who hates endless breadsticks? If you're going to put someone in an awkward, <laughs> if you're going to propose something to them that you're kind of sure they're not going to be into, you may as well do it with something you know they'll be into. And take right? their somewhere, take them somewhere with an endless amount of phallic-shaped bread just right. to get them, in, you know, in, in the yeah. right mood, in the right headspace. I don't know. I don't think I'm not saying I would have dated this guy, but I'm saying he has, there's love for him out there in the world. He's doing some things right. No, I mean, I think bring that stuff up in the beginning. That's that's my right. thought. That's not a sneaky question on date five. Maybe where you're like, Whoa. maybe date three. I think one's kind of I mean, yeah, I guess get it out I there. Mean, I feel like some kinks are, you know, what if it occurs to you well into a relationship that you'd like to try something new? Like even people who have been together for years and years might be like, yeah, like, you know, we're married. We have a couple of kids, but I kind of like to see if I want, if you pee on me, I think I might like it. That must be even harder than on a first date at Olive Garden is with like the love of your life trying to bring something new. No, I don't know. Cause I feel like if you guys have a good communicative relationship for me, I would consider it. And if it was mm-hmm. a hard no, I'd be like, sorry, but that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> right. Well, as a couple, we will navigate this discrepancy together. I'd be See, like, maybe is- we do it in the shower. Like, you know, you're, it's. I would think that's where you have to do it. Maybe I'm, you can I- meet at, at a at a middle at a you know compromise who doesn't love a compromise are peers are sex peers doing it in bed i guess i always imagined it was in the shower i don't know i feel like this seems like your arena i feel like this (laughs) we're going down a weird road (laughs) when people want to know like who was the general of some place in the civil war they come to me and when they want to know where peers pee on their (laughs) pees they come to you <laughs> we are in, not just interested in life kind of in a similar way the funny the absurd the true darkness the all that stuff but you after you and i had met on your podcast i was like you have to be a guest on my podcast yeah. and your subject the history subject that you wanted me to fuck came out of your mouth so fast you said titanic <laughs> and Michelle, your then co-host, was like, fuck, because that was like, I was going to ask for Titanic. And today, when we sat down, one of the first things you said is how surprised you were that a subject as glittery as Titanic hasn't been fucked yet, right? No, it's what what the fuck? What the fuck? People assume you're interested in Titanic. 
people just you know it it's not like you, you have to work really hard like so i did an episode on you know tennis and president polk and i feel like i gotta kind of do a little tap dance to be like no really this history is super awesome you hang in there i'm trust me and this is gonna be awesome you don't gotta put tits on the titanic no to make people look at her no. you know what i mean uh-uh. but what was it about titanic that attracts you so much okay well it all started with Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm. <laughs> and his and his beardless little adolescent cheeks. Yes, tell me more. I think it was, you know, nine year old me. I don't remember exactly what year this came out. Sure. But this was a three hour movie and I was a child and I watched this shit in theaters like three times. It was mm. back in the day where if you wanted to make sure that you got the double VHS set when it came out. Word. You had to get on a waiting list at Blockbuster. It was a Word. whole thing. Yes. Now we are talking 1997. You said you were a kid. How old were you? Ah, I was 10. 10 is great. 10 is a perfect age to get into something like that too, right? Oh, yeah. Because Cause you're like mature enough and yet childlike enough to like, it, this going to leave big marks on you. Oh, well, I mean, obviously... 25 years later as soon as yeah. you're like mm -hmm. history i'm like titanic titanic well and listen I, you, for those of you and i imagine a lot of people since 1997 even if their interest wasn't originally peaked by that movie like if they had a super deep interest in titanic prior to the 1997 movie you obviously saw it and you almost definitely loved it because mm -hmm. what's not to love so good and the movie then has really planted in our collective imaginations the set of how the Titanic <gasps> actually sank. And goddamn, girl, yes. if that set isn't accurate almost down to the square inch, I will also reassure everyone by knowing I am not about to shit on that movie. And that... um well, I'll be hearkening back to the 97 movie as like a touchstone mm -hmm. because so much is accurate. Very, very little of that other than the existence of Rose and Jack. Right. Um, hey, is inaccurate. It could have happened. It could have happened. Absolutely. But that's why I think as a, as a history fucker myself and, and my listeners know this, I'm not a purist about fiction, especially when it's presented as mm -hmm. fiction. I find historical appropriateness very exciting. And, and, and Titanic is in some ways historically accurate and in other ways just historically appropriate. And for me, that's perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, I'm not gonna shit on this movie. I'm not gonna take it apart. And there are characters that um, in the history that when available, I will reference where they were in the movie <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> to kind of stick a pin in it and give you a, a reference point when I can. Oh, I know one. Okay, go ahead. The, the unsinkable Molly Brown, played by oh, sister. Kathy mm. Bates. Yes. Love her. I am so excited that you do. I love her too. And we are, we're going to dance with Molly uh, in the course of, of this history. Um, it's also super cool um, for me to be diving into this because as the order of my research goes, and I do, uh, for the record, all my own research, I also do the recording, of course, myself, and I edit this horseshit myself. You are wild. I'm a wild child. Just, oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love every second of it. I'm a glutton. Um, but it was interesting that my research subject right before Titanic was Area 51. And it was sort of nuts because Area 51 has very little information available. Yeah. And what little information is publicly available is contested and, and smeared with like fake half truths. And it's very hard, right? 
Titanic, on the other hand, has in seemingly unsinkable, like unlimited <laughs> amount of information. You can you can get everything from the recipes for the meals they <laughs> ate to the clothes these cunts packed. You obviously have everybody. I mean, you can do. I mean, there are entire like series of books written about one lifeboat. <laughs> I'm not fucking I'm not fucking kidding you there there and there are hundreds of individuals survivors victims families of survivors and victims and each one of them is like a fucking mini series so what on it one of the well, Don, hardest only, parts what 1500 people on the ship yeah well, that's, that's, 1500 died 2200 people on oh, the ship 1500 died figure out the stories of 2200 people Okay, listen, we only have, listen, all right, I'll meet you next Friday and we'll go through, (laughs) we'll start with the first five. No, it's nuts. But this is what makes it one of the hardest parts of fucking this particular history is where the fuck to start and where the fuck to end, right? I'm going to give you a thorough fucking girl. I'm going to go from a handshake to an orgasm like we're doing the whole thing. But you needn't begin or end your history fucking of Titanic with me Um, because I'm going to hip you to some of the sources that I used and some of the greatest sources that I found. And then you on your own can put on a life jacket and jump into the deep end with this stuff. This is my first source. It is a book called the sinking of the Titanic, the greatest disaster at sea written by a fella named Logan Marshall. One of the reasons why this book is so particularly awesome is because it was published months after the sinking in 1912. And this guy, because it was hot news, people were fucking nuts to learn what happened on Titanic. Some of them, of course, because they were personally affected because they fucking knew and loved people who were on Mm -hmm. board, right? Or they had a huge financial stake or whatever. But for the most part, people at the time were interested in the sinking of the Titanic for the same reason you and I are 111 years later, because it just seems an incredible moment because of all of the irony involved. I mean, people were just desperate for headlines and news and information. So this guy interviewed tons of survivors and got all this eyewitness stuff, got sketches from people who like sat in the lifeboat and like drew what it looked like. Whoa. And then this book also has an an added part that was added many years later of all of the headlines and photos that were printed around the world at the time. So there were, you know, French passengers who came home and described it to the French newspaper and stuff. And so it's very exciting. That's an awesome source because it's so close to the event, because so many people who lived for the through the event are referenced. It's also a really suspicious source right? because it's right away. So that means it includes all the stuff he couldn't cross reference. Uh, it includes okay. all the stuff he couldn't rule out because we knew it wasn't true. So he cast a wide net that caught a lot of great stuff and a lot of garbage um, because he, he got all the headlines and everything, which was a lot of probably sensationalized or not mm-hmm. totally accurate. Exactly. It is sort of the equivalent of like a 1912 Google search where it'll tell you all of the stuff that people said, but it's not great at sussing out what was truly true about what they said. Right. Um, 
for that, the, the kind of the next best reference, the one that like James Cameron had under his arm, right, when he's making Titanic, is a book that was written in 1955 called A Night to Remember by Walter Lord. He also interviews a bunch of survivors. He had like 63, I think. And the book and then a movie that was made in 1958. Ashley, tonight, do me a favor, girl. <gasps> Pour yourself a non-alcoholic beverage. Yeah. Get yourself a fuzzy blanket and watch the 1958 Titanic movie called A Night to Remember. It is gorgeous. It's black and white, even though we had had color in film for a long time, but it's black and white for whatever reason. And it's, it was uh, taken from that book and is considered the most accurate Titanic movie to date. Well, are there multiple Titanic movies? There is. In fact, recently there were some, there's a Titanic movie called Titanic 666, which I think is like a ghost. And there's a Titanic 2. I haven't even like. Stop it. Stop it. Get you to the internet, my darling, and look up Titanic 2. I have no idea what it's about. Oh, and there was apparently an awful film in the 80s called Raising the Titanic that um, was supposed to be like this cool. It was like before we had actually found the Titanic and it was like this fictional story about how it could be done. And apparently everyone, even like Titanic obsessives are like, skip this one. Okay. There's nothing good about it. It's so boring. You guys, she's not lying. No, it's called Titanic. Are you talking about Titanic 666 or Titanic 2? <laughs> no, which also blows my mind. Titanic 2. <laughs> like I heard, I've, I've heard that this was a legend. It's as ridiculous as like Thelma and Louise too. It has one point. You're like, wait, I'm sorry. On IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't. Maybe we should have a watching. Party I kind of think this. we should because I've never heard of an IMDb with one point six like ever. Okay, here's that low. Here's the the bonus episode for this will be uh, Ashley and I li- watching live Titanic two. Wait. Oh my God. I can't even read. There's just there's a tsunami involved. Oh, the tsunami probably throws it brings that's what brings it back. Okay, we'll see. That's probably the one point six. Is now we already know what happens. This is my second book. It is called Sinkable Obsession: The Deep Sea and the Shipwreck of the Titanic. This book is so much fun because it does focus on the Titanic, the sinking, some of the cool shit about it, the recovery of the wreck, all the things that we have done since she sank to try to recover the Titanic. Um, and the, it's like the guy, the author lets himself get sort of personally involved, talk about why he's sort of personally into it. And it's a lot of fun. And then I don't know how nerdy you are. I know you're a nerd, but I don't know like how nerdy you are. You're going to want to bookmark encyclopedia Titanica. Oh, because sister, you can spend the rest of your life on encyclopedia Titanica. They have, incredible footage they have among a hundred other great videos they have a video of a gal a survivor whose father went down with the ship who was in a lifeboat with her mother she when she was seven and she's in her 80s being interviewed about it and it's just one of the most interesting it's kind of old rose-esque I just jotted it down okay good night all right so with all of these resources and then some I mean my god all right. You, here are you is, a fast here's my reader? Plan. Are you like a speed reader? No, I just am a, a lot reader. Wow. I mean, I don't think I read, I don't read any faster, I don't think, than the average person, but um, I can sit down and just read 
you know, if I have 15 minutes, I can sit down and just read for 15 minutes and I retain everything I read. Wow. Okay. And I can sort of piece it up. That's one thing, uh, something I kind of held on to from college. Yeah, that's good. I'm not a great reader. <laughs> it, I, I, uh, I love it. I can, I, and one of the things that helps is I've always loved reading like I can see usually a very cinematic I can often see and feel in a very sort of tangible way the things that I read. See, I'm actually more of an audio person. Like, I would rather hear you tell me mm. what you read. Well, that's, that's how, what I do. That's, I mean, so this is perfect, yeah. right? It's perfect. It's like <laughs> those worms. There's like worms in the ocean that like eat shit. Ew. They like eat, they, they, no, they eat pollution, which is good. Oh, okay. And then they like secrete this like super harmless enzyme into the ocean and they're like these awesome just like bio biodiverse sort of critters and i feel in a way that's me i just sort of eat up all the history and then i secrete an enzyme that's that's <laughs> harmless after consuming all of this stuff and oh my god and i watched that 1958 movie i read all these books here here's my plan for the hilfing of the titanic Ooh, with you ashley okay. <clears throat> now you know we're doing this in two parts because there ain't no way i'm fitting this hog into one episode. <laughs> um so the first part is the ship of dreams oh, man okay we're gonna we're gonna meet her at her peak her maiden voyage we're gonna go to, to hitting the iceberg of course the sinking the lifeboats i'm gonna talk about some of them the incredible stories of getting into those lifeboats crazy in part two we're going down, girl. We're going down together. Oh. Because um, because really, since she sank, some people say that's when the story starts. Not just the twisted here. lives. Honestly, not just the twisted lives um, for the survivors and their families, but the shipwreck herself. And just how many people spent their entire lives thinking about her and looking for her. And then, of course, in 1985, spoiler alert, we find her. And there's a whole other chapter. So it is, it's a thrill. Oh, Ashley, are you ready to fuck? Hell yes. Belfast, Ireland. Excellent. Which is where Titanic was born. Oh. When the uh, news came on April 15th, 1912 to Belfast that Titanic had sank, there was like this collective audible moan that fell over the whole city of Belfast. They were truly devastated because that is where Titanic was born. They built the ship there in Belfast. And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the process of building a ship and it, a boat. It doesn't matter. A canoe to an ocean liner. And it, and it honestly is a lot like how you build a human. <laughs> it starts with the spine, you know, you build the inner pieces, then the skin comes on, then you give it a name. Is that a how gender you build your baby? Yeah, well, I mean, my understanding, I used to actually sit there when I was pregnant with my app and it would tell you how many weeks you were. And it'd be like, yeah, right now you're building a nervous system, sister. You're, <laughs> this is nervous system week. And you're like, woohoo, get in there. And ships are always ladies. Always she. There's a well, and that's part of the feminine mystique of the ocean. A great companion episode mm. to this episode would be my uh, episode nine and ten, I Ooh. think, um, which is about pirates, <gasps> the history of pirates. Yes. And I go really specifically into women pirates Ooh. and how part of the heavy, heavy hand of the feminine mystique attached to the sea and to ships 
was part of the reason why some women found great success in the career of piracy. I will be heading to those episodes, Diamond Time. Mm, Thank mm, you. Mm, mm, let me know. So so the, the folks in Belfast who had built Titanic loved her a little bit. And they had spent years putting her together. It took, get this, there were three million rivets in Titanic. Those are like the little screws that hold the hull together. Whoa. Each one of those three million rivets took a three-man team to hammer in. One guy would hold the white hot rivet, and then two guys, one left hand, one right hand, swing hammers and hammer that thing in. Girl, three million of those things, that was just the rivets. What? Right? I mean, absolutely nuts. And they loved this ship so much. And so on April 15th, friend, she had been out to sea for four days before she sank. Her maiden voyage, four days. They said they could hear the cry from Belfast. And they have not until very recently in any way acted on like the commercial possibility of like tourism because of Titanic. I mean, even when it was a huge tourism spot for places all over the world that had nothing to do with Titanic, Belfast didn't do any. You'd bring it up, and it was like talking about the day your mom died. People were still so hurt and so sad by it. Um, They do now have a Belfast museum, but it wasn't opened until like 2012. Oh, wow. And the ship that they birthed, you know, this beautiful ship that came out of Belfast was so special. And one of the reasons why was because she was the biggest ship ever made, Ashley. Really? And not just the biggest ship ever made, sister. She was one of the biggest things that humans had ever made. She was four city blocks long, 882 feet, nine inches. She's 92 feet wide. If you stuck the stern into the ground and measured top to bottom, she was taller than the Washington Monument, taller than the Great Pyramid, taller than St. Peter's Church in Rome. Holy shit. Okay? Yeah. Huge. And it wasn't just that she was the biggest. She was also the most luxurious ship ever to have sailed. She had 10 decks, eight of which were for passenger use. Check this out. There is, on board the Titanic, in 1912, a heated swimming pool, a gym, a squash court, hot and cold running water, an electric grid that was way better than most American cities. And then one of the coolest things it had on board was this newfangled radio, the Marconi Gram. And this thing rocks because it allows the rich and the well-connected to run their businesses and to gossip while they're at sea. I mean, this is, think of it, it's like the first time you had Wi-Fi on a plane, you know? And oh. you're like, oh, you mean, I mean, I can. Dude, I've, st- I've, I've still only had that like once. And that's that's because I'm on Southwest. So I get it. <laughs> I should have known. I'm lucky that I didn't have to give you a $100 bill to put my seatbelt on. Thank you so much. She is specifically designed with all of this size and luxury because she is going across the Atlantic. So from the UK to New York, that was Titanic's route. And um, the very idea that you could take a luxury trip across the Atlantic is gobsmacking to a lot of people. It's one of the reasons why this history is so unique because the elders on board the Titanic at that time, they still remember when crossing the Atlantic was a death trap, a dare. 
only the most desperate people who had desperate business would even attempt it. And it was either because they absolutely had to or because it, it would make a fortune. You didn't just casually do it because it was so risky, right? So for them, being on Titanic was like, wow. But then you look at the children and the young people who are in and around Titanic. They are going to know a future of war jets and bombers and nuclear weapons. Oh, man. Pre-World War One, what we thought the world was like and what we thought the future was going to be like is a completely different deal. And what we're thinking in 1912 is that we are in the future right now. We've pretty much finished. We've got a railroad. Oh, my God. We can cross the Atlantic in a week. Hell's bells. The radio. X-rays. Like, we are the future. <laughs> and what we do now is we get on these beautiful boats and we're not conquering countries anymore. We're not fighting for independence anymore. These boats are shuttling is, rich people. That's so 1800s. You totally. Know. Absolutely. So 1800s. These are rich people conducting their business. This is people going on honeymoons. This is immigrants starting a new a new life somewhere. Right. And a lot of people are doing this. Titanic has competition. Titanic is part of the White Star Line. The White Star Line's competition is called Cunyard. And they also have huge, beautiful ships, the Lusitania, the, the Muritania. They're fast. They're the fastest boats. But Titanic is the biggest, most luxurious and still pretty fast right and and the other boats came before titanic correct and Titan yep. and they're all in competition for this transatlantic sort of passenger service you know it's like cunyard is delta to american airlines well, right i've literally if you say the movie is pretty accurate at least aesthetically mm -hmm. i've never seen rooms as gorgeous as the private parlor rooms on the Titanic. Yes. I'm like, was there a oh. hotel I can go stay at that's that nice just for like one oh. night of my life just to see what it's like? <laughs> Ashley, you have just picked up on actually a really important part of the history, which was the White Star Line specifically wanted it to feel like a floating luxury hotel. Ah. And they went to luxury hotels all around the world and stole a lot of the designs and the features so that the people who stay in those luxury hotels when they got on Titanic would be like, oh, yeah, totally. This is totally how we do this. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, and so just like airlines do now, sometimes they're competing on price. Sometimes they're competing on route, how quickly you can get somewhere. Sometimes they're competing on luxury. I mean, we can kind of, I think, understand how this was working. Right. Yeah. The Titanic's kind of general schedule is on Thursday, April 11th. It picks up its last group of passengers. Um, in Ireland, they're going to head out then from there across the Atlantic and arrive in New York City at Pier 59 on the morning of April 17th. That's the plan. Totally crazy. This thing's going to take six days. What? And the first, yeah, six days. No problem. And the first three days at sea are pretty great. Now, this is where, Ashley, I want you to pretend you're a passenger. All right. You and me are going to climb aboard in Ireland with these folks. And there's a few different folks that we can be. We can be passengers, uh -huh. right? And just like you see in the movie, the boat is heavily segregated by class. Right. right? Because you can't have scum, scummy Irish immigrants sitting in your gorgeous parlor room with all of their immigrant poorness the, all over everything. The Irish people are like, uh, we made this fucking ship. Assholes. Yeah, fuck, fuck you, right? <laughs> um, so they are heavily segregated by class and a deck is just for first-class passengers. That's that big, beautiful promenade deck that you see at the top. This includes their cabins, the lounges, smoking room. You've got the third-class passengers. Obviously don't have it as good, right? No. They, that, that's implied. But it also isn't bad. Like, the third-class steerage passengers on Titanic still have it way better 
than pretty much any other third class ticket on any other boat because it's still the biggest, most beautiful, most luxurious. Is third you know, class? These people have paid the last class. Third class and steerage are the same. Yep, that's the last class. And they would share, like, generally, so obviously first class, you have your own parlor, your own dining room. You might remember the scene where Rose and Billy Zane are eating breakfast on some yeah, of course. Like, private, beautiful patio. Okay, so you get all these. Of course things. I remember course, that, Don. Of course you remember. And he hits her the fuck. Yeah. And they get in there, you know, and they're gorgeous. So they have, for third class, it's the single men stay in one sort of communal area. Single women stay in another communal area and families stay in another communal area. But they got their their dining rooms and their it's nice. Yeah. It's not bad, right? Yeah. Everybody's pretty everybody is pretty stoked okay. to be on Titanic. Um, unless you have to marry Billy Zane, I guess. <laughs> then it sucks. Is this in any way unclear? No. But here's like the uh, ballpark cost of ticket. Uh now bear in mind, I'm converting the money not only from like pounds to dollars, but then for the time difference. But <laughs> yeah. give or take, what we're looking at is a third class ticket would have cost you about $800. Okay. And your first class ticket would have cost you about $2,500. What? And your and your most expensive first class ticket was like $92,000. Wait, $9,200 or $92,000? $92,000. So, so almost $100,000. Correct. That to... was the most expensive first So that would have been ticket. like Billy Zane and Rose's room. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. I want that and I like, want that room, though, Don. And honest to God, if... I do think it's fair to be mad that the boat is sinking and you might die and that people you know are dying. But it's, like, way worse if you also spent $92,000 <laughs> on your ticket. Like, oh, oh fuck you. Ah, this is my life savings. Oh, yeah. oh here's an interesting nugget uh, uh, to know is that when you boarded ships, the Titanic did this and ships like it also did, which was um, – they would have a printed passenger list available for everyone, kind of like a theater program. And it would have listed everybody who was on board. And it was not uncommon for like ambitious mothers and like single ladies to like use this list to try to find out like what moneyed bachelor they should try to get sitting next to at various meals and stuff. It was like oh, hello. printed Tinder for rich people. It was just it was amazing. Um, and this was also a mail ship. So there was like a, po like what? a, a post office on board and it had cargo. Like oh. Part of what it was carrying was just mail that was going back and forth. And that's one of the cool things too when you get into artifacts and shit. Like there was just not associated with any individual on board, just something that was being sent from point A to point B that is somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. The list of what was being mailed on Titanic is like <gasps> its own thing, right? When you said it was a male ship, I thought you meant like male versus female. And I was like, oh, like what? Titanic who? <laughs> no, no fucking wonder it went yeah. down. I mean, that's that got to be, she said. It's gonna be no, bad luck. <laughs> it's way harder for men to go down. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so if you're not a passenger and you've already said that you want to be a first class passenger i would agree <laughs> i think if you get to pick you want to be a first class yeah <laughs> but um third class passenger not bad as we all know the dances down there are hot and you can oh drink uh heavily yeah um but you would also uh could be crew because there are 885 crew Members no, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that. The Titanic. Nobody wants to be at work when you die. <laughs> um, and 
but in these jobs, like some of the folks on board, of course, are seafarers. They're they're boat people, right? They are dock hands. They they are uh, nautical roles. They are in the navy. They are first officers. Mm-hmm. But they're because of the size and scope of Titanic. There's also a lot of bakers, chefs, butchers, laundry waiters, the cleaners. There was even a printer who published a daily newspaper. Shut the fuck up. For like, oh, they, there's a squash game at three o'clock and Lord so-and-so, <laughs> you know, crazy. There's the radio operators and the musicians. And one of the things that this means is that a lot of the people who worked there didn't know what the fuck to do on a ship and certainly didn't know what the fuck to do when a ship starts sinking, but we're still being looked to by the passengers oh, for right. like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? You're like, right? I don't know. You tell me. I have no idea. I have a question regarding musicians yes. and accuracy of the 1997 James Cameron film Titanic. Tell me. Yes. Did some musician guys like play together until the ship went down? I always wondered oh, about Ashley, that. I'm so glad you asked. Not only is that true. Ah. The band played until the ship went down. Specifically, the last song they played was Nearer My God to Thee, which people in the lifeboats could hear as they were floating outside. This is how we know, right? Um, And they all died. Okay, you just made me cry like 30 minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah, it's under my Why did I ask? Yeah, yeah. That's so sad. It is. It's fuck, right? I mean, but that is one of those things that people saw in the movie. And you people, there's so much that's true from the movie that seems like it cannot be true because it's so cinematic. But the movie was really made because of the real life cinematic moments that happened. And that is just one of them, you know? Um, So this this is where, uh, right? So this is where... This is a perfect place for us to take our, our break because you're having an emotional <laughs> crisis. <laughs> and because I want to let it sit with you that this ship is special. Yeah. And she's special because she's a one of a kind, because she's the biggest, the most luxurious in a time where size and luxury were dominating everything. Because she's a baby, because it's her maiden voyage and she's only been at sea for four days. But also because of the uniqueness of the passengers. We have some of the richest, most well-connected people from Britain and the United States and around the world who are on this ship just to show off that they can be on this ship. Mm-hmm. We have poor mm-hmm. immigrants who are starting their life with their families. And this ship isn't for war, and it's not in service of a king. It is to haul goods and supplies and people across an ocean in a world that is at peace. And it's kind of a wonderful, however brief, moment. Oh, God. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, darlings. Helen Shepard here, host of the Hollywood Reveal podcast. I've always been fascinated by Hollywood and the people who dare to pursue their dreams in this city of stars. And on the Hollywood Reveal, we spill all the tea. My guests dish the dirt on what it's really like living and working in LA. From their careers to their personal lives, these Hollywood insiders don't hold back. Expect juicy Hollywood gossip, scandals, secrets, and stories of triumph, perseverance, and inspiration. And the best part? You can join us from anywhere. 
Just search The Hollywood Reveal on your favorite podcast platforms. Okay, before we get back into the icy waters of the North Atlantic, a shout out to my personal flotation devices, <laughs> my patrons. Oh, the latest to hop into bed with the pod are the illustrious Casey J, the scrumptious Robert B, and the delectable Lizzie O. <laughs> Your support means the world and ensures that the history fucking continues long into the future. <laughs> if you'd like to join their ranks and keep me well-stocked with highlighters and hard drives, go to patreon.com slash podcast and see what's what. And did you know that you can watch me on the History Channel? <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those talking heads they occasionally cut to. I look very serious, and they never let me say fuck, not one time. <laughs> you can find me in several episodes of two shows, Crazy Rich Ancients, a show about the indulgences of the mega-rich throughout history, and History's Greatest Mysteries, hosted by dreamy Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> so, if you want to see what Serious Me looks like and get notified immediately when episodes are airing, just... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow! If I have successfully put you here with me on this ship, I'm there. Then what we know is that we're we're headed for disaster, girl, and it's right around the corner. So, welcome back. I'm, yeah. um, I'm just trying to breathe. Let me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I want to tell you. I, I know I already gave you all of my sources, but I want to just say that because there were over 700 survivors from all parts of the ship rich folks, poor folks, crew, that what I'm about to tell you is from their eyewitness accounts. And it's why I can speak with some authority on the way it smelled or sounded or felt because we have their recollection and it's so valuable. Mm. Um, so one thing we know is that the captain of the Titanic, Captain Smith, had received, and he, is, he looks exactly like that bearded, I mean, the casting is incredible. Oh. Um, captain Smith, had received warnings that there were icebergs on their route ahead. He had gotten those warnings several times, and oh. we know that he either ignored them completely or just didn't believe that they were a threat. Obviously, we know that was a huge mistake. Captain he, Smith. of course, learns that that was a huge mistake later. But in his defense, icebergs just really didn't sink ships. They had before, and they had certainly hit icebergs before, but they just didn't really sink ships, and, and ships like this just probably weren't going to go down. It was like he was he was ignoring, in his mind, he was ignoring speed bumps, not landmines. Okay. Right? He was like, I'm probably not going to hit these things. He was genuinely not worried about it. And then if I do, it's going to like be a little embarrassing because we shouldn't have hit it. And it's going to probably make my passengers kind of pissed off and uncomfortable. But he obviously didn't foresee what happened. But we got to get there in six days, right? That's one of the well, things. Well, you know, it's true. Now, they weren't behind on schedule, and it's actually one of the controversies. Uh, uh, some eyewitnesses said, and the movie portrays, that a guy named Joseph Bruce Ismay, who you may remember has kind of the twisty mustache and he ultimately gets into a lifeboat and saves himself and sort of an act of cowardice later. I absolutely he, remember him. Yes. And he's trying to convince the captain in several points, like, let's open her up. Let's let's wouldn't it really wow the headlines in New York if we arrived a day early? Um, and there were some, some eyewitnesses who said that Bruce Esme was sort of pushing Captain Smith to go faster. 
Others say, however, he may have told Captain Smith that, but Captain Smith isn't going to fucking listen to this guy if he actually had any personal belief that that it would put the crew in danger and that it also might not have been the best thing to arrive a day early because these ports are really fucking busy man a lot of ships are doing this route and if you get to a port an, a day early you might have to just sit out at anchor for a day until they're ready to take you so it didn't didn't really make sense that they would be gunning it also but excuse knows? me i just paid for i just paid ninety two thousand dollars to be on this ship for Thank six you. days, go fuck Thank yourself you. if you're trying That's to take a, a day away, point. you know? Right? That's a very good point. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, you're like, I I haven't even tried the squash court yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I haven't even been down there yet. Also, the cooks and the men, like, we ordered all this food. You know, oh. I want to eat my snails. Yes, yeah, give me my caviar. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a little different. Like if you have me, I don't care how first class it is. If you have me on like an Airbus where one of those where you can like recline and they keep bringing you champagne and like strawberries and you're just watching your movies. I think I'm still like land this fucking hog at the earliest convenience. But I do think I do think if you could like have sex with Leonardo DiCaprio in the back of a Model T, you know, we can go around the block a few more times. Sure, let's do this. I'm just saying, those rooms looked classy AF. Classy. And yeah. uh, also, I got to just say, in Captain Smith's defense, because I'm like, oh, Captain Smith, you know, hi look good for you, uh, hindsight's 2020, of course, but Titanic was supposed to be unsinkable. Did they really believe that, or is that something they just Ugh. said for press? It is such a good question because. No, they never published. White Star Line was certainly not saying, come on all aboard our unsinkable ship. Oh. This ship is unsinkable. That it may have been uttered by individuals is more than possible. But what is even more important than the fact that it wasn't advertised that they were saying the ship is unsinkable was that it's, they didn't seem to need to say it. It was like people believed Ashley so deeply this ship could not sink. No one's really sure why they thought it. It was because it was the best. And sometimes the lowercase italics word best fills in all sorts of gaps in people's mind about what the best ship could possibly be. But there's like overheard conversations, for example, in Belfast before the ship takes off. This is a little bit of dialogue I actually read on Titan uh, Encyclopedia Titanica, where there was a, a guy recalls a conversation among ship hands where he said something about it being unsinkable. And one of these like low born, you know, Irish guys said basically bullshit. There's no such thing as an unsinkable ship. Yeah. And probably saying it's unsinkable is going to put people in danger. And in fact, as we go ahead, you'll find how the behavior of people was certainly impacted by their personal belief that this ship cannot sink. Mm. So it was like uh, it was like when when people all of a sudden get like a collective phobia of clowns or something, which does happen. Like every sure. few decades, it's weird as fuck. But when people just get this kind of hive mind about something sure. that's not even real. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Well, and, and some like um, cultural psychologists, for example, will say that we in the United States at the moment are feeling something similar about our democracy. It can't stop. It's not like America's going to fucking fall apart. It can't happen. 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 And you just start to go, well, what, what are you talking? Of course it can't. Democracy's 
bigger and older and stronger than ours have all fallen. Oh my Don't God. tell me, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? It can't, it can't, it can't. <laughs> and that if you, and if you really believe it can't, then you act irrationally and you're acting in a way that is not congruent to reality. And if every single person on Titanic knew from the moment they boarded that she could absolutely sink and that she could absolutely sink if she hit an iceberg, they all probably would have behaved differently. Better or worse. Here is where all shit breaks loose. Oh no. You cozy? Yeah. Okay, set your watches. Ooh. It's 11.40 p.m. on Sunday, April 14th. So we're looking at a little before midnight on a Sunday night. We're three days into this journey, just about halfway done. And a lot of people are asleep in bed, but a lot of people are also still up. We got gamblers playing cards. We got people dancing. We got lovers taking, you know, romantic walks <laughs> around the deck. And, um, and we've got the lookout up in the crow's nest. And at 11.40, Frederick Fleet spots an iceberg, immediately rings that bell, alerting First Officer William Murdoch there's an iceberg. He takes immediate action, which a lot of people argued is why the ship sinks, is technically because of what William Murdoch does next, which is turn hard to starboard, trying to avoid hitting the iceberg head on. Almost everyone agrees if they had hit the iceberg head on, there probably would have been a lot of injuries because the impact would have been felt differently and maybe with more um, violence, mm -hmm. but that the ship would have ultimately not have sank. Because he turned hard to starboard, the iceberg beneath the waterline did a combination of slashing and denting the side of the ship deep enough and into a, enough compartments, ultimately five of the quote unquote watertight compartments mm -hmm. That the ship is, at the minute it is hit, it's doomed. But at the minute it, it's hit, honest to God, other than the firemen who were down there shoveling coal in those first couple compartments that were filled with water and they were the first to die. Other than them, everybody else, is, a lot of people slept through this shit. A lot of people slept through it. And it feels perfectly normal at this point on board, even though the inevitability is inching from the second on. Um, both the 1958 and the 1997 movie capture this moment witnessed by a lot of people and that apparently unfolded in very much this way. And one of the reasons we know is because Bruce Ismay was there and he survived. Um, but it is the moment when the architect, Mr. Andrews, has been sent down to inspect the damage and he sees how many compartments have been compromised and breached. And he tells the captain that there is no doubt the ship will sink. And he says, it is a mathematical certainty this ship will sink. And I'm getting goosebumps I remember right that from the movie. <laughs> and it's, and they're, and they are, as he says it, they are in, you know, an ornately wallpapered room with very lovely things. I think they're both holding silver spoons. They seem very cool, but it's that, oh, fuck, this is happening. Not just maybe. It, we're going to sink. It's mathematical absolute. And Mr. Andrews you, didn't put enough boats, right? Because it wasn't pretty? Or is that just from uh, the movie? Believe it or not, Titanic had more lifeboats than were required by law. She had less yeah, lifeboats okay. than she could hold. And she had less lifeboats than some people thought she should have. But it, she had more than were required by law. 
Um, and, and certainly the question of the lifeboats is part of the calculation that's going through the minds of the people who are aware at this point that absolutely this ship is going to sink. Um, everybody on board obviously had that realization at some point <laughs> yeah. in the next, right? Um, and it's just so, the, the moment though of hearing it in that like particular room. But what he <sighs> does, the captain at this moment says, okay, so he's probably, like you said, he's thinking lifeboats. And he's going, okay, so this boat is going into the water. No one can survive in this water. We have 2,200 people aboard, only enough room for uh, a thousand of them in lifeboats. So without knowing the future, obviously the first thing he's thinking of that everybody who's aware of the situation is thinking of is, can we be saved? Right? Wait, so there really is only room for a thousand people in all the lifeboats? If there were 20 lifeboats and if every single lifeboat had been filled to capacity, mm -hmm. they could have saved a thousand people. That was the most that were ever going to be able to get into a lifeboat of the 2200 aboard. Wow. And the captain and Mr. Andrews and uh, Rose, you know, who did the calculations in her head <laughs> that, you know, everybody who is aware of it is aware of those two things probably at the same time. Right. We're going to sink and not everybody's going to live. Fuck. That being the case. Can we be saved? Can we get another ship <laughs> here before it goes down? And he asks him how much time he has. And Mr. Andrews predicts accurately two and a half hours. However, well, two and a half hours from when she struck the iceberg, but only about an hour and a half oh. from when he has inspected it and now told everybody, like, oh. yeah, we have a, just about two, two hours, let's say, before oh, we're all God. underwater. So the very first thing, right, the captain does is like, well, fuck, we got to see if somebody can fucking come and get us. Yeah. <laughs> right? Hurry, us. put your thumb out. Hitchhike. That's the whole point. So he gets the radio operator, a guy named Jack Phillips, and he gives him, he says, you, I need you to get on that Marconi, Graham, sister, and I need you to send out the <laughs> hard, hard, all caps, big exclamation points. Help, help, help. We are fucked. Now you can see, Ashley, I'm <laughs> tapping my fingers like this, like mm -hmm. I'm sort of masturbating. Yeah, uh, that's on the what screen. I was actually thinking of. And you're like, Dawn's loves, really she's, fucks this stuff. She's playing <laughs> um, DJ over there. <laughs> um, but that's because that's how the Marconi Graham worked. Uh -huh. You still weren't speaking your messages. You were tapping it out, right? And those, and those electric signals of the message you were sending were being sent then via radio waves to someone who could receive that. So it's still pretty new technology. And this guy, Jack Phillips, is on there sending help, 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 help out to everybody. Now, that message that he sends out can only be received by ships that have a radio operator, have a radio, which is not, as we've talked about, sort of like Wi-Fi. That is not every ship. Okay. And there's two ships within range mm -hmm. that, get, that are capable of receiving that message. The first one is the Carpathia. She's four hours away. Oh, no. Their radio operator gets the message, confirmed just like everyone else, like, really? Really? She's thinking. And they're like, no, for real. We double checked. Oops. They're serious. And so <laughs> this is not a joke. And yeah. And the captain at that point's like, I'm four hours away. And they're like, yeah, they said they're going to sink in like two hours, though. And he's like, OK, I will go as fast as I can. And he does opens up the engines and hauls ass to the coordinates that Jack Phillips has sent. And the Carpathia is like eager beaver on their way, doing their best Good for them. Check this out, Ashley. OK only about 10 miles away Stop. is another ship called the SS California. Now she, this story curls my toes and has actually made its way into my standup. Because, 
It's ridiculous. Okay, my toes are so, actually like um, I just realized little... like they're actually like raised right now. Just like I just they're on. They're, I have tension at alert. in my body. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad. Well, they're they're in for they're gonna clench. They can open. They can oh, close. Oh God. So oh, this is such a wild story. So the SS Californian can see Titanic. No, has has been seeing them. And think about the SS California. They are as starstruck by Titanic as anybody else has been. And they are like, I mean, it's like seeing Rihanna at the Met Gala. They're like, is that the Titanic? Oh my fucking God, you guys, that's the Titanic. And they're super excited. And the radio operator on the SS California has gotten the ice warnings Uh and isn't sure because they saw earlier in the day, Titanic seems to be kind of hauling ass into that iceberg field. Yeah. And they, the SS California, had like slowed way down because they got the ice warnings. And so at one point, the captain of the California says, we need you to radio the Titanic about these icebergs again. Uh-huh. And the California goes, oh, my God. Like, the radio operator is seriously like, you want me to send a message <laughs> to Titanic? Like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> right? So he's like, ooh, ooh. And he's already knows because he's been hearing. He's on the radio. He can hear the Titanic is sending all of these rich people messages that are like... The the Andersons are on the Titanic. Send that to the Petersons. It's so like it was a huge deal to send a to get a radio message and to get it from. Whoa. You know, I want to please make sure that the Astor's white limousine is there to meet them instead of the black limousine. So he's already been talking to the California like you are not going to believe what they are <laughs> saying on the radio over there. Like what a party, right? <laughs> so he's stoked. He gets to talk to them. So he gets on. He's like, hey guys, um, there's an iceberg and. They interrupt him, Ashley. You'll see this scene if you watch the 1958 movie. Jack Phillips, the radio operator on the Titanic. I don't know how you interrupt someone with something that you message by <laughs> tapping, but he like taps back like no. before he finishes. And is like, and is like, shut up. Hey, California, shut up. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah, I think but, and and the Californian's like, oh, what? And they're like, yeah, we fucking know. Iceberg schmiceberg. We're fucking don't bother us anymore. Can't you see? Stop. And can't you see how many messages I have to send out? Please don't interrupt this anymore to tell me about shit I already know. Oh, right? Rude. The the way that they word it in the book is that they were rebuked by the Titanic radio operator. So the guy in the SS California is like, oh, God, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he is the only one, by the way, on board the ship that can run the radio. And it's midnight, <sighs> right? By the time yeah. anyone needs to message anybody. And our guy's in bed. He's asleep and the radio is off. No. And the folks on the upper deck of the California are seeing the Titanic and they say, Ashley, they I'm can not see it shit kidding sinking. You. Listen to me. They say it looks weird. It looks like it's tipping. And they just keep looking at it. And they also, by the way, are sending light messages yeah. and Morse code. They're sending all their messages that are like, are you okay over there? Because there's other ways to talk to ships besides Flares. the radio. And they are never getting any response from them. And they were already rebuked with shut up. We're the Titanic. We're busy. So the, after they said, then, Ashley, they see the flares. No, that's what and I was they just go, thinking of. And do you know what they say? Fireworks. Those fucks know how to party. Wow. They thought it was fireworks. They really do have it all. Yeah. They're like, they really do have it all over oh, there. Look at, they have, yeah. they have fireworks parties after midnight. That must be. No. They are so lucky. They are so amazing. And they do think, should we wake up the radio operator? Nah, they were dicks. They didn't, they didn't want to talk to us. 
I'm like rubbing my forehead so hard right now. Sister, there's a lot of lessons here. One is never be such a big deal that people mistake your calls for help to be a party. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And don't be such a colossal dick that you and 1,600 other people (laughs) have to die. I think I need to change some of my ways. Yeah. Um, I will tell you this, though. Don't get too harsh on our boy Jack Phillips because he messages emergency help uh, to the end and goes down with the ship trying to send out more messages all night and the other guy was just i mean fair enough but sleeping they didn't have like they felt bad they felt very bad and at the trial later they were found to have acted improperly and we have changed a lot of laws based one of the laws in particular is you absolutely are never allowed to fire a flare off a boat ever unless you are in a distress emergency and if you ever see a flare you have to go see what's going on you can't like that's maritime law now Okay, so if you're anybody on Titanic and you now have the information that you and I have, which is we're going to sink for show and nobody is going to get to us before we go down. Okay, now your second choice is can I get into a lifeboat? Yeah. Yeah. Now we know we've already talked. There aren't enough lifeboats. We also know that um, they had more (laughs) than were required. Um. And also, though, a note about that. One of the reasons why that was the case was because, harken back, these ships just don't really sink like that anymore, which isn't to say that they can't, obviously. We are about to tell you a very, very famous story about when they do. But here's what usually happens, right? If you're in a ship that sinks, option one, horrible weather that comes up out of nowhere sinks your ship. No. In which case, a lifeboat does fucking nothing for you. You are not you are not getting off of Titanic and lowering down into the water in a <laughs> lifeboat to escape a hurricane, okay? <laughs> um, this is before World War I, but even if it were a bomb, right? A bomb or a white whale or a monster, again, <laughs> these lifeboats are not designed to be like, okay, everybody, we'll all be safer in these little boats in the water, right? Right. Anything that sinks a ship fast, a lifeboat isn't going to help you. And the idea was that anything that sinks a ship slowly, in which case a lifeboat is useful, you're probably ferrying the survivors to safety on these things rather than just having every single human on the boat hanging out in them, right? So if you strike another ship or if you run aground or really even if you hit an iceberg, you're going to sink so slow that you go a thousand people at a time go to a rescue boat, and then the ship... You know what I mean? They just Whoa. weren't actually accounting for scenarios like this one where everybody needs to get in a boat. Mm. It just wasn't... It wasn't their reality. But the the second question is more... Okay, so we can kind of understand why there weren't enough boats, but why weren't they all filled? Right? Okay, so that part of the movie is true, too. Yeah, there was room for about 300 to 500 more people in the lifeboats, <sighs> them are actually. Wait, so how so, many people survived? Um, about 705. Wow. The reason why I say about is because some people got all the way to the Carpathia and died. And some people, you know what I mean? Okay. But it, they, they, it was about 705. Because. And there could have been a thousand. I think it's because when people get hysterical, situations mm-hmm. get out of control. Mm-hmm. Very much like we saw it in the 1997 film. I, I feel like there's basically four reasons why them lifeboats weren't full. One, precisely what you were saying, which is 
cunts, right? People are cunts. Now, they can be cunts because they're scared, they're selfish, they're classists, they're ignorant. They didn't know. I don't know how many people are supposed to fit in here. Or mm. I didn't do a head count. Like, <laughs> whatever, right? <laughs> whatever. And, and also totally understandable. As you said, you're hysterical. I'm holding on to my baby. And I got into a lifeboat. And the boat said, yeah, you can understand how people look around and are like, fuck these people. Get us out of here. I would have <laughs> you know? sure. Billy Zaned you, punched you in the face, stolen Take your baby. Take my baby. <laughs> God damn it. See? Please. She's all I have in the world. Um, so that's one reason. People are assholes and people are hysterical assholes. Okay, fine. Reason number two. People wouldn't get on the boats, Ashley. Remember how what? I... Okay, so the crew... L- listen. Remember how I told you... When Captain Smith was told, this ship will sink, it is a mathematical certainty. And he's like, fuck. Mm -hmm. They don't say, hey, everybody, the ship is going to sink and it's going to take two hours. There aren't enough boats. Because, of course, we get into a a not life-saving panic by everybody. Yeah, the hysteria. So most of the people are acting on the assumptions they had before they hit the iceberg, which is we're not going to sink. We're going to hang out. This is a false alarm. So here's what I'm going to do. It's no fun getting in these lifeboats. It's fucking cold out there. Mm-hmm. Then you've got all these screaming, hysterical women. And then the boat, by the way, the, like real unsteady, right. lowers down the side of a of a ship that is also not doing well. Into, I, and then you sit out there for, what, two and a half hours. And then they're going to say, okay, false alarm. Everybody come back on board. In which case, I'd rather stay next to the caviar, right? If it's all the same. I don't know, And there man. were even instances of valets and servants who didn't know any better who are also acting on their own false assumptions saying yes sir they want you in the lifeboats but we're sure you'll be back by breakfast i'm sure breakfast will be served on board so people are really looking at it like i don't want to get in there if i don't have to it's going to be so cold and then even if you do have people who are well aware the boat's gonna the ship is gonna sink uh it's women and children first and when we talk about the women and children first thing, it's such a fascinating concept because it's one of the few instances, honestly, in human history that we can see and document a situation in which women and children first was simultaneously projected as the way we would do it mm-hmm. and then enforced. We have it as an ideal. Lots of people think it's a great way to go, but there's very few situations in which, like the Titanic there were lines and crowds of men standing by without the need of force to get the women and children on the boats first. Now, there were also lots of places where they did have to use force to keep the men and the boys at bay. But largely, the most of the eyewitness accounts for the early part of the sinking are like, yeah, Everybody was actually listening to the crew and they were going in. And and again, a lot of these boats were being lowered on full because they couldn't get they couldn't convince anyone else more in that particular area to go. in. If I were a dude, I'd be like, hey, you fucking bitches, get on the goddamn boats. Yeah, that would be really frustrating as a man who was willing to get on the boat having other yeah. women be like, oh and they were good oh and there were and there were men survivors who when they got to new york were heavily scrutinized and they were like why the fuck are you alive <laughs> and Jesus. these men and these men would be like i didn't want to get in the boat nobody was getting in the boats and the the one of the some of them were like the crewmen would get these high-born men into the boats because they were like if you go in It'll set a good example, and then maybe more people will go in. Now, Ashley, as you know, as you can just, you saw in the movie and you can feel in your soul, 
There's a moment, however, mm-hmm. <laughs> when everyone realizes the stakes and it is at this moment that there's only a boat or two left because Ooh. it's not an easy thing to even lower these things. And this is when you get guns being drawn. You get a lot of people trying to jump into the boats from the lower decks as the boat mm. is being lowered down that tried to climb over the railing and jump on that way. There was a moment represented in the 97 movie of a, of a fireman, a crew, a crewman using his knife. I'm seeing all of this in cut. the movie happen in my yep. head right now. <laughs> that is that is absolutely true. You also saw represented in the movie one of the collapsibles, which was the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Like you're literally the, the idea of a collapsible boat just seems like actually <laughs> more to begin with. But <laughs> Titanic had two of them. And the trick with these is that they weren't even like hanging over the side ready to go. They had to be like popped up and then they a bunch of people had to like help get it down to the part of the deck where they could then hook it up and lower it down one of them i think was found with the wreck like literally the collapsible went down with the ship the other collapsible boat was successfully launched but it ended up in the atlantic upside down and the folks who were who were saved by it had to balance all night in this like real tedious like balancing act oh my god on the back it's it's wild but the other reason why the boats were not entirely filled is because even after they got into the water the folks in the lifeboat were very hesitant to go back in there because they are would have been swamped and very likely the entire boat load of survivors would have gone into the water which was understandable too right you know Totally. Now we do know that one did go back, and that is true. Again, represented in the movie, one of the one of the sailors had a lifeboat that didn't have many people in it, and he saw another lifeboat that was under capacity. He pulls the two boats together, he puts the passengers from one into the other, so they have a full lifeboat, and he went back into he was the only lifeboat one. that went back into the pool and one boat and they pulled out five. Five people alive five sur- five survivors they they got out from that one boat and to that let's pretend that we are one of the folks who went into the water oh. it is two below celsius that's 28 degrees fahrenheit obviously there's icebergs it's fucking freezing yeah right <laughs> it's cold but it doesn't but the reason that people died in the water was not because of hypothermia. Some did. I mean, hypothermia certainly killed some people. But hypothermia is like this really specific thing that happens when your core body temperature goes below 95 degrees. Dude. So most of the people were not alive long enough for that. Most of the people who died in the water died of cardiac arrest or they died from what's called cold incapacitation, which basically means you're still breathing, your heart's still beating, but your limbs literally can't swim anymore because you just sort of are frozen. Right. Like your your muscles have seized and you actually can't swim. I was so scared you were going to say sharks, dude. I, you know, no sharks. Too cold for the sharks okay. there. That's the good thing. I got so um, nervous. No, no sharks. Um, but, the, but the body's reaction, for the most part, if you're in the water, you're going to be dead within 15 to 30 minutes. But, Ashley... What if you're clinging to a door with Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm. Now, I know for a lot of you big fans of the movie, I'm a historian. And what we're going to discuss now has nothing to do with history history, but has everything to do with the history of a history maker, which is the question of the door. Jack and Rose on the door at the end of the movie. Okay. When she says... (sighs) 
when she says, I'll never let go. I'll never let go. And then she lets go. And you see him. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's so funny. I love that. I mean, I'll never let go. I mean, I mean, of your memory. Yeah. I know. I should have said more. Sorry. (laughs) And you see him go into the water. Oh, I, that's rough. Oh, um, yeah. I cried every time. I cried. I still cry in his hand. Yeah. Going up. And one of the things for those of you who may not be as, as deeply entrenched in <laughs> the 97 film as we are many, 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 many people, if they're going to talk to you about this movie, what they want to talk about is couldn't he have survived though with her there looked to me like there was a smidge more room on that door and couldn't they have tried a little harder where do you fall on the jack rose door phenomenon yeah so i was definitely one of the people who thought that i was like i think they could have balanced that shit like listen you get we just you get far on that side I get on this side, then we mm-hmm. inch a little towards the middle till we balance this bitch. Sure. Well, listen, I would say for me, uh-huh. as Rose and as me, director James Cameron, uh-huh. I would have gone ahead and inserted at least one more solid try. Yeah, you know what I mean. The movie's three hours long, and and I'm sure that they're like, we fucking he he that he doesn't. There's not room on the door, but like we don't feel that. And I think what we needed is for them to try a little harder, and then for a moment when they're like, it's simply not going to happen, and we see Jack decide to give the door to her instead of them both die, because what it looks like is, come on, no, all right then. then She's like, like, you know what? Honestly, you're fucking poor. This I don't see. I don't see this working out really when we get to shore, anyways. I don't think, and maybe I do know I have that diamond in my pocket, and it's gonna be. And my mom is a cunt. Like, you think I'm gonna introduce you to my mom? Like, no way. (laughs) Sinking takes almost exactly the amount of time that Mr. Andrews predicted. In fact, the movie, both movies, um, show him where the last eyewitness saw him which is in one of the beautiful uh, state rooms in front of a mantel place, looking at his clock, the pocket watch he had, mm-hmm. and the clock above the mantel, and things are at a drastic incline, so you can really kind of feel that the ship is starting like to really, really go down. Exactly. Yeah. And that he sort of seems to be, by the by the witness's account, confirming, like, yep, that's what I thought. Like, that's the time that I thought it would take. Do you know if people ran up to the top like jack and 100%. rose a hundred percent the last survivors to go into uh, and victims uh to go into the water were the few that were clinging to the stern and that image of those gigantic propellers <gasps> yeah that is what they saw in the the paint of the um liverpool the port going down and ultimately disappearing. We also know Captain Smith went down with the ship. The the movie has him somewhat seeming kind of like disoriented and depressed, kind of going up to the helm, Mm -hmm. uh, to the bridge of the ship and, and not, and, and that would have been a perfectly reasonable reaction. Um, but of several eyewitnesses described him swimming out uh, people to the lifeboats and then swimming back oh that he had he had gone in the water at one point and had found somebody and and kind of swam and the lifeboat 
the people in lifeboat saw it was the captain and were actually ready to bring him in. They were like, come on, captain. And he brought the survivor over and swam back to the Titanic. And one eyewitness said that he was holding on to one of the railings as it went down. So he like tried to help save as many people as he could then ultimately decided but to go down with to the go ship. back to the ship. Because yeah. that's what and captains are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to go down with really the is. ship. It really is. In fact, one of the highest ranking officers who survived um, was not criticized at all for surviving because he did go down with the ship and swam to the collapsible and climbed on back the overturned collapsible and a- actually was one of the key figures in keeping it balanced for everybody. Holy shit. Um. But the captain, the architect, Mr. Andrews, also some of the richest people on Earth. One of the richest men on the planet, um, John Jacob Astor, died. And for those super rich, there's a moment actually in Titanic that is accurate, which is there's I I, I believe they're representing Mr. Guggenheim, which who we're going to talk about in the second part. But he got his wife and daughter onto a lifeboat and then him and his valet went back to his room and changed into their best clothes so that they would die like gentlemen. And many eyewitnesses said that these rich, well-bred, well-born men were sipping brandy together and behaving in a very calm, let's take it like gentlemen sort of way. Some people say that couldn't possibly be true, but it is among the elements I like it. of interesting legend. <laughs> um, and we are, I like it too. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about the people in our, our second episode. Um, the second part of this, oh, we're going to wow. talk about not just those rich guys, but a lot of the poor ones. We're going to talk about who lived. We're going to talk about who died. We're going to talk about how they retrieved the bodies of the dead and the body of the Titanic herself over 70 years later and over two miles beneath the surface of the ocean. I'm, it, you don't actually hear it in my voice, but like so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I think I'm just, I'm processing a lot right now, Don. I'm so glad. Well, this like, is what we call, I think it's called like a post-coital glow. Like, where you're like, I fucking love you. I feel that was really satisfied. I feel super satisfied. <laughs> well, I'm good because it's going to have to tide you over our next episode, part two of the Titanic. See you in a couple weeks. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I dare. And we'll see you back here for part two of Titanic. It's a just hit parade of death and treasure hunting, and you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, if you're hungry for more Ashley and I, get thee to That's So Fucked Up, the podcast, TSFU for short. Among Ashley's many great episodes is the one where she fucks Jonestown for me. Mm -hmm. It's a wild ride and a four-parter that should keep your palate whetted until we return. (laughs) Until then, our theme song was composed and performed by Kat Perkins. A reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. 
If you'd like to become a patron of the pod, Swoon, go to patreon.com slash podcast and see what we can do for each other. <laughs> this has been Hilf History. I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party. And everybody's coming. <laughs> Hey, creepy people. This is PNW Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. For each episode, we do a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on the topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous cases such as the misdeeds of Boeing, as well as lesser known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13, as well as our spooky stories from Pike Place and Raven's Manor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you'd like to listen. Have Have a a creepy creepy ass day. day!